Good evening, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and I'll be your host tonight. And tonight we also have with us Mr. Tom Frank, who is a claims representative for the Social Security Services. So welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you, Dr. Bill. Yes, how's everything over there in Vermont? Uh, Vermont is is heading towards fall, let's put it. (laughs) There's a lot of of leaves on the ground you could feel, huh? A lot of leaves on the ground, but it's not raining now, and after Irene kind of wiped out half of our state, uh, and any fair weather is good. Yes, yes. Well, we're having a great day over here in Los Angeles, too. It's about 85 degrees and clear, so we're having a, a nice day today. But uh, tonight, you know, I wanted to talk about some of those difficult situations that we all run into. And for myself, this is something that is relatively new because I have only been visually impaired for about, I'd say, seven years was when I first started to lose my vision. And for about three years, I've been totally blind. But there have been many, many surprises uh, in, in my experience as a person with vision impairment. I remember there was once a time when I was walking and I had my cane, and there was a woman who said, oh, please, please, let me help you. And I said, oh, that's okay. I'm able to do it myself. And she said, no, I'll help you. And she literally grabbed my cane and started tapping my cane on the ground for me. (laughs) You know, and she really thought that she was helping me, you know, her dearest to find my way through the hallway and things like that. And, you know, I think that we all run into some of these types of situations that are a little bit awkward because we don't know if we should kind of uh, tell them, I don't need your help, and we don't want to offend them by saying something that may hurt their feelings, but we also want to educate them because, for me, I feel that it's very important that the general public is educated because I think that the general public does not realize what uh, a person with visually vision impairment is or is not able to do. So how about in your situation there, Tom? How long have you been visually impaired, and what has been some of the more awkward situations you've encountered? Well, my business started going bad when I was in the Army. So when I was 21, which happens to be, uh, what, a little 40, 40 years ago, uh-huh. uh, started to go bad gradually. Uh, I first noticed when I couldn't qualify with a, with a rifle on the firing range, uh, but since we kept our own scores, I still passed that time. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah. How many times? Oh, yeah, I hit it 39 times, which is what you needed to pass. I think I actually hit it three times. <laughs> and but, and what, what, what was the cause of your vision impairment at that time? Optic atrophy, etiology unknown, as they all say, huh? Yeah, that's so rare. So it was it was something that came on as an adult, not, not as a, a young right. child. It might very well have been hereditary. It could have been, some doctors said, maybe a virus that damaged the optic nerve. They just don't know. Yeah. But I was thinking thinking of that awkward situation that is different now that I'm almost 62 
when I was younger and I lived in Washington, D.C., and they were constructing the subway, I always get off the bus and I was walking. They were construct, constructing the new entry way to the subway. So I was walking home and crossing the street, and there was a lot of construction. And at that time, she was probably younger than what I am now, but at that time I would have considered her to be a little old lady, uh, offered <laughs> to help me cross the street. And I said, oh, no, thank you, ma'am. I know where I am. I go by this way every way. I promptly crossed the street, turned, and walked right into the signpost. My glasses came off my face and shattered into a million pieces. Oh, no. So I've ever since then I've said, when any little old lady wants to help me cross the street, I say, thank you very much, whether I need the help or not, because it makes her feel better. Well, that's a great, great recommendation, too, and it is something that is helpful for both you and also for her because it helps her to feel better. But I think also it, it probably gives you the opportunity. You probably have met a lot of really interesting and nice people, and you've been able to dispel many myths about vision impairment. Oh, ab- absolutely. And, when they, and the, the one that I like is when you're walking along and, and some, some little child says, oh, what's that? Because I use the white cane. And the mother says, oh, shush, and, and pulls them <laughs> away. And I always stop and turn around and say, would you like me to tell them what this is for? Oh, yes, please do. And I say, I can't see very well, and this helps me. And the kid has no problem with it whatsoever. And and usually when the mother, oh, thank you very much. I always try to take those opportunities to, to educate. Yeah, that is just a perfect, perfect opportunity because you're right. Many parents, they often are very embarrassed when their innocent young child, you know, ask about some of these things. And it reminds me of a story. I was at Disneyland once, and I didn't want to go inside the stores at Main Street. They were just too crowded, a lot of people. So I told my family, I'm just going to stand out here, and I'm going to people watch. <laughs> and as I was standing out there next to a pole there on Main Street, I was standing there with my cane, and the same thing happened, just like you. A little boy comes up, and he says to me, hey, where'd you get that? as he was, you know, referring to my cane. And I said, oh, well, I got it at an eye clinic. And he says, they don't sell those here? No, isn't that one of those laser wars, Star Wars laser fighters? <laughs> and his mother just grabs him and says, don't say anything. I said, oh, no, no, no. Let me explain to him what this is for. And, you know, he had never seen a person who was blind before, And it was something that was just really, really interesting to him. And he said something that was also really interesting. He said, you don't look like you can't see, you know. And that's another comment that I often get Uh where people often will look at me and they will say, you're not visually impaired. Is this some type of a gag? Or people have even accused me of faking my vision impairment. I know there was a time that when I first announced my retirement and that I was going to retire from my job as an eye doctor because of my vision, one of the employees said, you're faking it. I know you're faking it. You're just trying to get, you know, disability money 
And I just did not know what to say. I just had to laugh. It was so ridiculous. I laughed, and I then said, you know, believe me, there's no amount of money that I would do this for, you know. (laughs) But not a club wants to be a one wants to be a member of. Right now, have you ever experienced uncomfortable situations like that where people have accused you of either faking or exaggerating your vision loss? Because I'm certain when people look at you, your eyes look perfectly fine to them. My eyes look fine, which is one reason I carry my cane. Just last weekend, I hopped in the car. And said, oh, I left my car, my cane in the other car, or whatever, and then. <laughs> I, I make a point to look sort of extra blind because I'm, I can find the steps, I go up, and the person's opening the door, and, you know, I don't actually see where they are. And I'm saying, excuse me, I don't see very well. <laughs> uh, so I use the, the, the cane. When I'm at work with Social Security, when I go, when I do a lot, half the the our uh, interviews are over the phone, but then when I have somebody that has an in-office interview, I always take my cane when I go up to the waiting room. And because without saying anything, it's a way of telling them that I don't see very well. I come back, I use the cane, I use the cane and tap on the chair. You can have a seat here. So they obviously see the white cane. I prop it up, sit down, put my headset on, and I have a large screen. And I say, and by the way, the computer talks to me in my left ear. And we never have to discuss that I don't see very well. So that avoids a lot of the awkwardness. Yes, I think that's a great, great idea. And I could tell you, when I was going through that phase of, not wanting others to know that I had a vision impairment and I had some vision, during that phase where I was hiding my vision impairment was really a very, very difficult time. I know that there were so many times that I would trip and stumble over a little curb or it might be those little cement blocks that prevent the cars from rolling at the parking spaces. Oh, yes. Trip over those. And it was so embarrassing for me to stumble, and I could see people laughing at me, or I hear people laughing. Or there might be other times that I would be in a line for the ATM machine, and it would take me longer to be able to read the screen, and people were getting kind of frustrated. But even with all of that, I still would not tell people that I had a vision problem. But when my vision got to a point where it was worse and I accepted using the cane, it really, really eliminated so many awkward situations for me because if I did stumble, people would come to help. Oh, are you okay? Or if I was, you know, there trying to use an ATM machine or anything like that, people would offer the assistance. So people realized why I was taking a longer time or they understood why I was stumbling or tripping or, or other things. So I, I think that the cane is really a great, great symbol to let others know that we have a vision problem and it and avoids a lot of these uncomfortable uh, situations. 
Right, and I really, anybody with low vision, I say, if you're ever at the point when you start stumbling or whatever, I said, please, use a white cane. You can get training. I never went for training on it. I just picked up the various techniques along the way. But a lot of people are very self-conscious about it. And they say, well, people are staring at me. And I would say, how do you know? You can't see them. <laughs> why, yes, why, why are you worrying about that? And, and my, my wife that I met like seven years ago, I always say when, when we first met, we were walking down Church Street, the sort of the, the pedestrian mall in Burlington, and I'd be going along and da la la la, no singing. Uh, <laughs> I said, no whistling, uh, ruff, ruff, no dog sound. I said, people are already staring at you. They already think you're stupid because you can't see. And, I, <laughs> and now, two years later, when we come to the street, where is that magic stick of yours? She pushes me out front, <laughs> watches the cars stop. <laughs> so she was very self-conscious about it, and now not at all, because yeah. the, the cane is just part of me. And one, one thing I remember, and, and the other thing I think, and you, you have the same thing, Dr. Bill, is you've got to have a sense of humor. I think that's so helpful. It really is. That my my son, when he was going through driver's education at, at, in his high school, he said one time that the, the, the teacher was saying, now, what do you do if you see somebody uh, with a white cane crossing the street? And he said, well, you stop and you let them cross the street and you roll down your window and you say, hi, Mr. Frank. <laughs> because I was the only one in the town of Waterbury. They're the only person they knew that used white cane. <laughs> so they, oh, yeah, that, that, that's Michael's dad. <laughs> well, what about situations, Tom? I'm certain there might be times that you're interviewing some of your clients and they, they might say something that's just really really ridiculous for example they might say well you know how 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 do you do any of these things are you are you really capable of doing this job since you're blind have you had people really come and ask some very very ridiculous questions like that i haven't had too much problem because remember we're the good guys social security we give money away yes uh-huh so so, so we're the good guys and when I find out, so you were previously married, okay, and you were married for 10 years. So let's say you can get, you know, seven, and we can get $300 a month more on that. Oh, you can. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the visual impairment doesn't mean anything as long as I'm competent at my job. That's right. So when people do say some of these types of things or bring it up, at the workplace or in other areas, you simply do have to just show to them that you are competent and you might anticipate that people may do some of these types of things where they ask you some of these types of questions. Yeah, and and I just have the time I just laugh at it. And and I know one one time I was 
on the board of directors of the Vermont Association of the Blind, and the executive director and I were going out for lunch. And we are going to a, a, a little deli. And he's visually impaired, but he didn't use a cane. And I did, but I kept mine, you know, down low. And he ordered a roast beef sandwich or whatever because he knew what was on on the menu. And then came to me and I said, well, I'll, I'll have the, the meatball sandwich because I knew they had it because somebody else. And then I said, well, what size do you have? And I held up my cane so <laughs> she wouldn't say, you know, this big, yeah. you know, holding out her hands. And she turned to my companion and says, what's he want on it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I looked all around and I was trying to find out where I had just gone. Yes. Because yes. as soon as she saw the cane, I ceased to exist. And, Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and, and I couldn't get upset at And that's the thing. I think some people in those situations would get upset. I didn't get upset, startled. Because she didn't do it out of malice. It was just an automatic reaction. And, and you know, you take the time to say, excuse me, I just ordered it. I'm able to tell, you know, yeah. what I want on it. Oh, yeah, and then, and, you know, know and, that, and, that, and that's such a, a common, that's such a common thing. I, I know that there are so many times that I'll be out for dinner or lunch and many times it's a hostess who will sit you at a table, and when the waiter comes up and they then find out that I am blind, whether it's because I didn't make eye contact or whatever that it is, as soon as they find out that I am visually impaired, they always ask my wife, what would he like to have? What would he like to have to drink? And she just laughs, She's, and she gets into this hysterical laugh because... It's just so common that this happens. I don't know what the reason for that is. And like you said, it's not out of malice. And she just laughs so much. She goes, you got to ask him. you got to ask him. She, she makes a joke. She goes, I'm not his mom. I'm his wife. Am I looking that old? <laughs> so, you know, for, for us, so many times am I including humor into these events? It makes it so much easier as compared to situations where maybe you might become angry. Because I have been to some of the conventions and at the restaurants in the hotels, I've seen some of the visually impaired people become angry when people have said certain things. And again, I feel that in most cases, nobody is really out there trying to make you feel bad or to demean you in any way. It's just that they don't know anybody who is visually impaired, and they haven't had this training or experience. Right, and I don't think anybody out there is, is vicious or whatever, but at each time you can take those opportunities and, and say, well, in one, in one sense it's fear because everybody's afraid, you know, what they know they couldn't survive or they couldn't cope if they were in the same situation. Well, actually, you know that they could very well. It just takes time. Yeah. Now, now, what about that situation when a person comes up to you and they're almost like in tears and said, this is just dreadfully god-awful. 
I am so sorry that you're blind. It's the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody. I'm so sorry you're blind. <laughs> what do you say to people when they come up to you and say that, or they make it as though you have the worst condition in the world? How have you responded to that? Well, I, I will say I was, I was in San Diego. I used to work for the Blind of Veterans Association way back when and traveled around the country. And I was in San Diego. And I was had my cane, and they have high curbs in San Diego for some reason. And I was there on the weekend and do a little sightseeing, and I sort of tripped over a curb a little bit. And there, and the fellow came up to me and hello, you have problems seeing, don't you? And I'm thinking, yeah, white cane trip, yeah, this is a bright guy. <laughs> and he said, you know, if you believe, Jesus will cure your eyes. Uh-huh. And I said. Yes, I know it, but if he does, I'll be out of the job. You see, I work for the Blind Veterans Association. You have to be at least legally blind in order. And and he was going on and I was going on. But I, I just said, you know, this is the, essentially, this is the way I am. I deal with it fine. And if they get too carried away, and most people don't, but if they get too carried away, Excuse me, I'm a GS11, step eight. I got a really good job. I got a great wife. I got two wonderful children. My life's pretty good, to be quite, <laughs> quite, quite honest. Would I rather see? Oh, yes. I would much rather be to see. And then, I don't know how you are, sometimes in the day, like here in Vermont, with the foliage, I can't see it. I hate not being able to see. This is disgusting. Okay, my 30 seconds of pity are are over for the day. And and then that's it. Now I have to move on. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's really it. You know, I think that as a person with a vision impairment or if we have any other kind of weakness, whether it's arthritis or we may have cancer, I think we all have the right to feel sorry for ourselves for a certain amount of time. And I think that we all wish that we didn't have this. But after that, you have to move forward and just think, hey, there's a lot of other things that I still can do. I still am able to eat. I'm able to drink. I'm able to breathe. I'm able to sleep. You could think of all of these other things, and then you just begin to move forward with the things that you want to do or the things that you have to do in your life. And that allows you to not think about your your vision impairment. And what I often tell so many people when they come up to me and they think this is so tragic and, you know, you're so young to be blind and your poor children, my children are standing right there next to me, your poor children to have to have a dad who's blind. You know, I just tell them, you know, blindness, it's not bad at all. It's just different. We read books differently. We go to movies and we watch movies a little bit differently. We can still cook our meals, but we cook a little bit differently. And I said, you know, if you had the opportunity of being blind, you would also find that within a short amount of time, you'll be able to do a lot of the things you want to do. And it isn't as bad as you might think. And suddenly, you know, they change. They go, is that right? I have never heard of anybody say that. Or I will ask them, do you know anybody who is blind or visually impaired? And they almost always say, no, I don't. (laughs) 
So I think it, it's it's again another great opportunity for us when people do come up and they may say the most absurd things to you or say things in front of your family that are a bit uncomfortable, you can always educate them and let them know what it is that that you do. But I think there's many times that there are people who are visually impaired and blind who aren't nearly as independent, perhaps, as you, Tom, or maybe they are not as successful as you. I think that we, we, we very well are aware of the fact that eight out of every ten legally blind adults are unemployed. Right. So for a lot of those people, they probably don't have that self-confidence to show others that they are able to do things on their own. And do you have any uh, advice for those types of folks to to help them to gain a bit more self-confidence and uh, self-esteem? Well, I think... I think it's just like everybody. I'm, I'm a great believer in education. All it always was before I was visually impaired. After is that you just have to figure out what you'd like to do, what you're good at, and just do it. I mean, I I was in the army and I was in electronics and I loved electronics. Absolutely loved it. But as electronic parts were getting smaller and smaller. I could only see things that were getting bigger and bigger. So I got out of that, and then I could still see well enough to, to drive a car when I got out of the Army, like corrected like 2030 at the time, but heading downhill. And I started going into college as a, as a secondary physical science, be a chemistry and physics teacher. And then when I can no longer read the labels on the bottles in chem lab, I decided, I think I'm going to get out of this major, and I changed to communications. I said, well, I like to talk, and I could probably write and do that, so I changed my major. So I think one thing is try to be realistic. If you want to be an airline pilot, your life is going to be miserable because you won't be able to do it. Uh, If you want to work in a deli, that's a good thing to do. But find something you like to do and sing good advice for anybody. But I think realistic goals uh, and and just go for it and you'll be a lot happier than just saying, well, not thinking the things that you can't do, sort of a cliche, but think, think of the things that you can do and go do it. I think that's some really, really great advice and for all of the students that, that I see who are blind and legally blind, I, I really encourage them to pick out one particular thing that they are passionate about. And it could be video games, it could be cooking, it could be music, whatever it is that they're passionate about. And from there, set a small, achievable goal. I think many times that people say, well, you know what, I would love to be an actor and I want to make $25 million a movie, sometimes these first goals that they set are really unrealistic goals, but if they set small goals that they can achieve each day, it shows them how to take the steps forward to achieving that goal. It might be the first day I want you to call a talent agency, call the William & Morris Talent Agency, and apply for an internship. And, you know, the next week you might have another goal. 
go down there and actually meet with somebody and speak to them about what your goals are. But I think that as long as people are working towards something they're passionate about and each week or each day they set a small achievable goal, they will realize that there are things that they can do and there may, again, be times that it's a bit difficult where you're rejected like anybody else and sometimes you're rejected because of the vision impairment. But you can show people that it is not what a person really could see that makes them a great employee. It's really how do they think and how well they work. Um, Tom, have you ever run into situations in which you faced rejection and it was because of your vision impairment? I I know it was when I was uh, looking for a new job. I worked for the assistive technology project for the state and and I knew it was time there for several reasons for me to move on. And I was sending out um, resumes, calling every every place I could. And since I live in Vermont, unfortunately, that house didn't have a stove. I used to tell my children I could heat the house all winter long on the stack of rejection letters that I got back. <laughs> <laughs> and. And it's just, I kept a whole stack of them and thought it was funny. And a lot of them, uh, I know, it's because I couldn't couldn't see. And I, oh, yeah, but you need to go to this meeting. Well, I'll figure a way. Uh, and you know perfectly well, you know, we'll call you. <laughs> Don't call us things. But I, I learn, as I said, on rejection. That's one thing you have to learn to accept as a human being and, and probably more as somebody who's visually impaired. Well, that's one less place I have to worry about looking for a job. Next, yeah. you know, and, and go on. And it really shows, you know, the way that I look at that is that when we are rejected because of our vision impairment or maybe we're discriminated because of our gender or our ethnicity or in some case it might be the college we graduated from, the way that I really look at that is that this really isn't intended to be the place for you to work at because those really aren't the types of people you want to surround yourself with. You don't want to be there, right. You know, you probably aren't that type of a person, and so if you had to work with people like that who were discriminating against others, it really wouldn't be very, very good place to work at. So you have to think of things in that particular way so that you don't start to feel as though you're, you're worthless. And in your case, for you, Tom, even though you had numerous rejections for job opportunities because of your vision, uh, what do you think it was? Was it really just a necessity for survival to feed your kids and support your family? Or did you just have the faith that something's going to come along? Or was it a... I just had the faith that something else is going on, it will come up. I, I, every once in a while, when I get frustrated, even now, and I said, I'm going to work, you know, why am I, I could retire now, you know, I could collect disability now, I could I could retire, I've got it enough, I've got to get a pension and all of those sorts of things. And whenever I say it, my, my older son, who is now 30, he said, I know why you go to work. Because when you weren't, you were driving us and everybody crazy. 
You have to go to work. That's why you're working, because you drove us nuts when when you were out of work for like a six-month period. You, you, you have to go do something. Yes, and that's it. You know, it really sounds odd from your tone of voice and just from meeting you on this interview here. You really sound like the type of person who really just enjoys helping people, whether you're going to help them by giving them money from your job or you're giving them advice, you're giving them support. It seems as though you really, really enjoy helping others, and that is your passion. Yeah, and that, and that is one thing. Uh, I know when I went to Social Security, I was working for uh, you know, assistive technology, for, for disabilities and helping people get the equipment, and then I was uh, a system change and advocacy and all of those things. And I finally came to the conclusion, eventually somebody actually has to do the work, not advocating for all these services. Somebody has to actually do it. Yeah. So that's why I went to Social Security. <laughs> and I can do the same thing. I, I got out of the quote-unquote disability business but on the other hand, I'm taking retirement claims and I take disability claims. And one area I found that helped me, it helps me a lot, and as you said, helping others to feel good when I'm taking a claim, especially over the Internet, and it's a disability, and somebody, you know, they don't know I can't see or whatever. I'm just talking and I'm typing things in the computer and taking their claim, and then they say, but you don't know uh, how I feel. You don't. You don't understand. And I said, well, actually, if you were here, you would probably notice that I'm legally blind. Yes, I do. Oh, and you know, it does help me relate to people. I'm not using the disability for them to pity me, but. Something, yeah, you're you're not the only one. Yeah, you can come through this too. So, and that's one way you can use your disability to, in fact, help other individuals cope with what they're going through as well. And for them to know that you truly understand what they're going through, it, it makes a world of difference. It means so much more. Even though we might have a a family, a husband or a wife. They truly don't understand what we are going through. And when you do meet another person who is visually impaired, who is there to listen to you and to help you, it, it really makes a world of difference. Yeah, now, have you ever experienced any real awkward situations? I know that you said you had two two children. Two children, two boys, yep. Yeah. Has there any been ever been any very, very awkward situations Uh with your children, and how did you handle that? Uh, gee, I, to be quite honest, I, thinking back, they're 30 and 27 now, and I can't think of too many because they look back. My son now says, well, and his, and his wife uh, just went to... Uh, Los Angeles, she got a uh, an award because she, I forget which college she went to, but she was the leading scorer in their um, athlete, you know, their Hall of Fame and all wow. of that in the college in L.A. where she went. 
Uh, and my son learned all of his uh, sports from the Frank family, which are absolutely none. <laughs> no. and he said, well, my father, I missed out on that. He couldn't play ball. I said, my father never played ball with me. We're, we come from a long line of non-athletic people. But, you know, so he, in some cases, he'll laugh if he missed out. But I said, yeah, and you got a degree as a college, as a computer engineer, didn't you? And who, uh, <laughs> and said, who at age five is helping doing dishes and talking about resistors and capacitance, see? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you got from things my strengths, and, yeah, we dealt with my weaknesses. <laughs> yes, and, and that's something that I am the same way. I was very, very concerned that as I was diagnosed with my vision impairment, I was very, very anxious many times that my children might come up with a, a question that would really throw me. For example, I always awaited for them to ask me this question, such as, you know, am I going to become blind one day like you? Or I was always concerned that maybe they're not going to ever want to bring their friends around because they're embarrassed. Or I, I always thought that there might be a time that maybe we get in an argument and they, they come out and they, they let loose and say, you know, I hate you because you're blind. You know, you, you're embarrassing me. And my, my kids are both in college now. And I, I talk to them about these things. And I say, you know, I was always afraid about you being embarrassed of me or you would be embarrassed to bring your friends over. But, you know, you guys brought your friends over. We never had any kinds of arguments. You guys have never asked. I said, aren't you even just a little bit worried that you too might become visually impaired. And, you know, both of my kids at different times, they had said, you know, I thought that, yeah, it's a possibility that something could happen. If it could happen to you, it could happen to me, it could happen to anybody. But I see the way that you're doing everything, and it's no big deal. <laughs> so... I, I have never encountered a real awkward situation uh, with my children or, or my family uh, about being visually impaired when we actually really came down to talk about it. Uh, and that's kind of interesting how you never experienced that with your your children either. Uh, how about how about with your your wife? Have you experienced awkward situations uh, where she she had Ask questions or was was frustrated with you because well, my, maybe my, it my, you? Well, my first wife. Yeah, there were some awkward situations, but that's why she's my first wife and had nothing to do with visual <laughs> impairment. <laughs> but I, I will say there is one interesting thing. I was, uh, I, after I, I got my divorce, I was sharing a, ha- a house with actually the uh, Adali Arukumangana, who was a... Uh, refugee from Rwanda, actually asylum seeker from Rwanda, and I was sharing a house with him for a year. And we were discussing once, and he was saying, oh, yes, there's been, and I said, well, actually, I'm the one that filed for the divorce. And it was a shock to him. And I think that's a lot of people look at me, oh, the poor guy she left him because he's blind and all of that. Oh. And, 
And, you know, oh, yeah, no wonder. I said, no, I'm the one that... <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm the one and and fine and we happen to be good good friends now and 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 it, uh, my wife now thinks it's a little strange. I go to my son's wedding and my former wife is sitting on my left side and my current wife is sitting on my right side. But uh, <laughs> and and you know, but I still talk with her and 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 all of that. But those things and and now. Janet, my my wife now, who I, I dearly love, the one that pushes me in front of the road with a, with a cane to stop the traffic. Uh, you know, she gets and voices her frustration that I can't drive, and we live four miles from town. We live in the country on ten acres here, and she really gets frustrated not being able to drive that I can't drive. And I said, and what do you think I feel? That's my standard response. And I said, it's okay to be frustrated. I'm frustrated, too. And we just go on from there. So those are awkward situations. But that, on the that, other... I'm sorry. You know, Tom, I think that's just a really, really a very, very good answer, though, because it is not where you or I or any other blind adult is wishing that our wife would have to drive us around like that. If we had that ability to drive or if we, there was another option, we would do it. So by just simply saying, yes, I wish that I could drive too, and it's okay to be frustrated, it, it really puts it in a different framework where she could look at and say, you know, hey, that's right, Tom. Tom's not really trying to make my life difficult. This is just the way that it is. And that's just the way it is. So on the other hand, when we go to New York City, I learned this from my son when I visited him because he went to school in uh, Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, right across the river from New York City. And I said, now, let's walk down. And we walk down. Let's go to the Empire State Building. And we get in line and at the, right at the sign that says, you know, one hour wait from this. I said, watch this. <laughs> and we're just standing there. And then 30 seconds later, the guard comes over and says, come with me, sir. <laughs> and I said, hold you. And then takes you down the the elevator in front of the line. Puts it, zoom, we're up to the top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> I said, and that's the other thing with, with age and experience and wisdom takes effect. If they're stupid enough to give me extra privileges because I can't see, I'm smart enough now to take them. That's right. And I think that's something that we don't have to be embarrassed to take advantage of anything that is offered to us. You know, there's a reason that they have made some of these rules. And at first I was very embarrassed to take advantage of these things, but I realize now a lot of people have worked very hard for some of these types of special benefits and rights for people with disabilities, and it's there so we could take advantage of it and enjoy it. And and now when I fly on an airplane, it used to be, oh, do you need any special services? Oh, no, no, thank you. No, I'm okay. And now, anybody need any special boarding? Me, me, me. <laughs> yes. I yes. get in the front because it does take me a little bit longer, and I don't want to get into, you know, 
block other people. And besides, you're the first one that gets in there, and then you have space in the overhead luggage rack. So you can get in there, get saddled nicely. Yeah. And, so, and even just for safety, it is for our own yeah. safety. If we could choose which particular seats we want, we could then find where is the exits a lot more quickly, and it will make ourselves and others around us safer as well. So. Well, this has been just a really, really very enjoyable interview, uh, and I really appreciate you for being on the show tonight, Tom. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad to do it. I usually put my phone on mute and just sit in the background and listen and, and learn a lot, but no, I you, really you, enjoyed this. Well, you have given us some really, really great tips to be able to accept some of the help that others may offer and to feel comfortable with asking for help if we need it. During each of these experiences, try to educate the others around us about what it's like to be visually impaired and what we can do. And I think most of all, I think that you have shown how to have a good sense of humor. It makes all of this much, much easier. So I hope that maybe next year with our new schedule for 2012 that you'll come back and join us and be on the show. All right? Okay, great. So... Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this evening's Let's Talk Low Vision. And we'd like to thank Mr. Dick Burden for recording this. Uh, this podcast will be available on the CCLVI webpage at www.cclvi.org. And it will also be on the Airs LA webpage at www.airsla.org. So we'll see you next month, everybody. and. Have a great week.